Hello, everyone, and welcome to Esoterica's The Interview. Today, I'm very excited to introduce you to Bruce Farrell Rosen. Uh, Bruce Farrell Rosen is joining us from San Francisco, and he is the author of, if you can see this screen, Bombed in His Bed, The Confessions of a Jewish Gangster, Meyer Rush. Now, Bruce has a very uh, unique connection to the gangster Meyer Rush uh, because Bruce is his nephew and interviewed him over many years and grew up in the shadow of uh, this uh, notorious gangster uh, who was bombed in his bed. I mean, what a great title. Welcome, Bruce. Uh, thank you for having me, Leah. So, um, God, uh, God he's, he's Jewish, so yeah, God comes to mind. Um, so, tell me, uh, you grew up kind of hearing about uh, Meyer Rush. Like, what, what, what were the family stories? Like, how did you first come in contact with, it, with this idea of this personality? Well, I was born in Toronto. Um, and our family brought us out to California um, when I was about three and a half or four years old. And we're talking late fifties. And so I didn't, I mean, the rest of the family grew up, you know, the cousins, you know, all the others, <coughs> excuse me, grew up getting to know Meyer and, you know, constantly reading about his, um, his events and his escapades and his, um, you know, his, his, his tales uh, as, as, you know, as written about in the, in the journal, in the, in the newspapers in Toronto. And that became rather difficult for them. I really wasn't exposed to that as a kid growing up, but the rest of the family definitely was and right. because he was in the news so much. And um, so my mom, uh, Elma wrote, Elma Rush, who, you know, uh, his, uh, his youngest sister at the time used to tell me great tales about Meyer and um, and about her other, you know, un her, her brothers, Dave, who was a, you know, a legend, you know, in the book, Dave stands out a legend in Toronto. He he promoted the first heavyweight championship fight to ever be brought into Canada. Wow. Um, Myers. So I heard these tales growing up. I heard about Meyer. I used to hear that Meyer, you know, loved children and he was extremely wealthy and he was very tough and he was very smart. Um, but I, I, you know, I didn't ever really know or hear the stuff that Meyer would later tell me, right. you know, in those interviews that we had together. Right. Um, um, interesting, quick little story. I mean, my mom once told me a story about how, you know, the brothers, all, the whole family were all, they all became pretty darn well known, the Rush name in Toronto <laughs> in the, in the mid, later 20s and 30s. And, and she went to a school she was the last to come along and um, there was a teacher by the name of Mr. Cass. This is a funny little story that my mom used to tell. And, you know, one, one her older brother went through Mr. Cass, tough, tough brother. Dave went through Mr. Cass, obviously tough. Meyer went through, you know, Mr. Cass, obviously tough. And then years went and the sisters went through and, and years later, all of a sudden there's this little girl you know, in, in the classroom and Mr. Ka and, and she's in Mr. Cass's classroom. And right. this is where my mom would tell as a kid. And, and she, she, she goes up and, and she goes up on the blackboard 
and she writes, and this is a family show, so I'm not going to use the last word. <laughs> I remember this from the book, yeah. yeah Go ahead. She wrote, cast, cast, kiss my blank, right? Right. And 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 he look, he goes over to her and he says, he says, what is your name, young lady? And she, he, she says, Alma. And he says, what's your last name? She says, Rush. And he says, oh, no, not another one. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> so that was one of the, the things that I heard as right. a child growing up. I mean, uh, and no doubt, I mean, it sounds like there was a lot happening in the Rush home uh, from what I read in your book. Yes. Um, so uh, Meyer, um, from the sounds of it, I mean, he grew up uh, in the, I mean, he was born in the 20s, correct? Right. Grew up during I mean, the Depression. I mean, so, I mean, according to the book, he was already thieving by the age of four. Like, is that, is that Very even true. possible? Yeah. Well, what would happen is he was a child. They would, as as he described, which is in the book, he would he would call it boosting, right? And and, and he would and there was some of the the older neighborhood kids. He was right. small enough to fit in through through the windows, or and if they had you know if they had rails, he could fit in between them. He'd go in and steal you know the rooms blind, right? He'd come back and give it to the kids. Here's the thing, though. I think this is what what is a major theme. In, in Meyer is that, and the depression era, um, is that he always wanted to keep a little bit of that money to give to his, to Ma, to give right. to his mother. He would, yeah. so he would steal and, and from those, even from that age, and he would give a little bit to Ma all the time. Right. The way, the way Meyer told it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that was actually very nice. He seemed to have a really, I mean, he seemed to have a, a really warm relationship with his mother. I mean, considering, um, you know, he was he was a gangster. Yes. Um, yeah. Now, I mean, let's so let's get to the. Well, the he, he wouldn't define himself as a gangster, right? He didn't think he was a member of a gang. But, well, that's but, the interesting thing. So, I mean, he, you know, when you say gangster, I mean, we have like this mob mentality. Yeah. But I mean, he was, um, and, and again, what I, I love about the way you described your uncle is, uh, he was a very complicated guy. I mean, so. He was a criminal. He spent time in jail. I mean, he, I want to get to the bombing in his bed because yeah, of the headline. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, um, but he also felt that he was kind of a, a hero of the people in a, in a, in a way. I think he way. saw himself as sort of a Robin Hood kind of guy. Right. You know, where he, he, was, he was willing to take on the establishment. Right. He didn't like the establishment. He thought the, he didn't like rules. Obviously, he didn't like regulations. And in those days, they didn't have a lot of. I mean, you know, they were writing the rules in those right. days. You know, right. you know. I mean, there were so many things that happened later that 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 were written because of characters like like, <laughs> like Meyer. I mean, I think you know, you know, Michael Milken. Remember in the eighties? Right. I mean, yeah. he got away with so much. I mean, eventually they wrote rules to. To, to go after it, but I mean, he, right. he thought he was exploiting rules that didn't exist. I mean, right. way back in those days, there were not a lot of rules. I mean, and so they had to write them because of people like Mike. So, I mean, so tell us in your words, like some of his, like the highlights of some of his, you know, let's, let's call them for arguments, a criminal, because that's where they were, criminal yeah. exploits. I mean, look, give us the gamut of what he did. Well, from a young age, he, um, well, I mean, there are various characters that that he that come into the book, right? I mean, there's right. Chucky, Chucky the Scar Wilson, 
Right. Chucky the Scar Wilson um, teaches Meyer how to work the sting. The sting, you know, uh, and, and, and Meyer, Meyer spoke like a character out of Damon Runyon. I mean, right. one of those characters that, you, you, you know, guys and dolls, right? <clears throat> and so, yeah. and so Meyer, the, the guy would, would t teach Michael Meyer how to um, work the sting. They called it um, taking the, you know, um, work in the back end or, or, or telling, going into people that had a lot of money that worked in, you know, companies or that ran their businesses and, and telling them that he had the back end of, of big fat Herky, you know, and, right. and, and we, we were going to screw Herky, pardon my language. Right. You know, so he represent, so he would use that against the little, the, the, the little man that he, he was on the end and then turn around and, and, you know, you know, and, 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 and work a sting on him. Well, right. this, this particular, and Meyer apparently made a, you know, the, you know, um, the guy asked Meyer, apparently Meyer thought Meyer was a, 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 a tough and smart looking kid. Meyer actually had, had, had done uh, newspaper, uh, had, a, had, had a newspaper stand when he was a kid. And really, I mean, a lot of anti-Semitism, a lot of, a lot of things going on in those days where yeah. they, and kids want to work, push Meyer out of the way, for, take over his, his corner and, and, you know, get out of here, kike sort of thing. And Meyer, right. Meyer described it. And Meyer got tough, and he learned right. to, to to double over some of those guys. And so, as he got a little bit older, you know, this guy Chucky recognized that the guy was a tough guy, and taught taught and said to Meyer, "Do you know what a schmuck is?" And Meyer says, uh, "Yeah, I know what a schmuck is." And 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 says, "Can you recognize a schmuck?" And Meyer said, "Sure, I can recognize." And I don't know how old Meyer was at this time; must have been twelve. Right. Or something. Yeah, I can rec recognize a schmuck. And he taught Meyer how to do this thing. Right. So then that guy introduced Meyer to a guy named, um, oh, what, um, I can't remember, uh, Graham Kellen. Right. Uh, actually, I changed the name. But in, in, right. the, there's, in a lot of places, I leave the names as they are. In a few places, I change them. So, so Graham Kellen, Meyer, Meyer would then go in uh, and become he became a cat burglar. He'd go into rooms and 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 pe while they were asleep, he'd steal. So right. so, so so Graham taught Meyer. This is during the Depression. Graham taught Meyer how to make a master key. And so once Meyer learned how to make it, because Graham had this new this this invention, because so many hotels had you know one master key that could. So once Meyer was able to learn how to make the master key, no hotel room was safe. Right you know, anywhere he went. You know, so so those are the th and then he made a friend called Freddie Johnson, who used to um, who used to, his big thing was um, tray um, you know vacation trailers whatever you call them R R R RVs right right whatever you call them uh, in in those days I can't remember what they were called but right. so he would he would steal RVs and one go across and, and loved he loved traveling in these RVs so he would steal right. them in one state or province and bring them into another state or province and sell them and just keep doing it across state or provincial lines. These are right. the kinds of characters that he met. Then one more thing, um, there was a guy that he met on, the, on a train across the country called Rusty Stokes. That is his real name, Rusty Stokes. Rusty Stokes was a kid from Hattiesburg, Mississippi. A, a tough kid, you know, a Southern boy. Meyer met him, you know, on the rails 
and they they they, they developed a really deep friendship, and 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 they just Meyer loved them. It was like kind of a Tom Sawyer Huck, Huck Finn kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, the guy found drugs, heroin, and wound up overdosing. And 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 that's one thing. My, when he saw that the guy was into drugs, that's one thing Meyer would not have. Right. And then sadly, he realized later that the kid had overdosed. So oh, these are see, these are some yeah. of the stories. Now, I mean, but he, I mean, he was kind of a, uh, you know, he did like he he pulled up some big, you know, some much bigger uh, like heists and you know criminal activity. I mean, he had, at some point he had quite a bit of money. I mean, you mentioned that yes, he did. He had enough to like buy his own plane. I mean, if he, yeah. if he needed, I mean, so I mean. Were just a, were they a bunch of little scams or were some really big things in the Well, a, bit, a very good question. I love the journalist in you. <laughs> very good question. Um, you know, he eventually discovered, and this leads to some of the later events. You know, right. the bombing and the baseball bat beating, which I'd like to talk to tell you. About. Yes, please. Um, <laughs> so he learned how to. Um, he had. He was very, very hypnotic. He right. was an incredible salesman. I mean, you know, I could tell in interviewing him uh, what kind of salesman he was. He just sold me on all these stories. <laughs> but, right. but, but he was an incredible salesman. And he wound up meeting people actually through his older, through his older brother, Dave, meeting, meeting people that were in the stock business, the pro- right. stock promotion business. And they found that Meyer could really promote stock. And so, you know, he take the, he, he, and that's where the rules and regulations thing, right. you know, they, they were there and they weren't there and they were there. I mean, there were things that didn't really govern some of these mining companies. I, I right. gather because I didn't, I'm not party to it, but, right. but, but Meyer learned how to, how to promote all of these stocks right. and made a mint promoting these stocks and made a, a like a you know and 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 then he'd get you know he'd promote them and run up the stocks and he would be given shares to do it and he would and he'd make a mint on it other things he made a lot of money on were some really interesting little little things meyer says and and various people had did corroborate at the time that he he across the united states and parts of canada he learned how, he he put the signs on the top of taxi cabs so he so he promoted this whole taxi cab signage business that right. made him a lot of money. Right. So he had, uh, he discovered in, in, in going to the Caribbean, take a little sip of water, one sec. Yeah, of course. He discovered in going into the Caribbean a, a wonder sex herb called that he called Pago Palo. Oh, right. I was curious you know? about that. Okay. And he, and he said that it worked and they they came back and they, they marketed it in every brochure that he could find and all the big, magazines at the time and and money just came pouring in because he would say something like you know this 80 year old guy you know could you know get, get it up because of this pago Paulo here and get a <laughs> testimonial from him and all that stuff right so so he made a mint between the the mining companies and the you know and he let's face it he made a lot of money just through his you know cat burglary but he would spend yeah. the thing that, that meyer always did is whatever he made he spent yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you, you say at one point he didn't believe in saving, like the same for rainy days, not saying that was a core value of his. Uh, exactly. He just for the moment. Exactly. Right? He, well, he was a kid of the Depression. Right. He had nothing. He thought that, and this is, these were Meyer's words, you know, I have right. nothing. You know, I had nothing. Uh, there's always, I'm going to get more tomorrow. You know, I'm, I can always get more tomorrow. What am I going to save for? Right. You know, 
you know, I'll, I'll just get more tomorrow. That, well, was that, that seemed to work for him. I mean, he was constantly getting more. Uh, yeah, so but, let's, let's go up, let's lead up to the, the bombing in his bed. Tell us about that. Cause that's a, you know, really, I mean, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Papers. Yeah. Powerful stuff. Um, well, and this is where it gets into things that I, in the book, I create, it's kind of, let's just call it creative nonfiction. In the book, right. I create different scenarios and conversations that are fictional, right. but they're based on his, what he tells me, you know, exactly happened. And right. I, have, and I kind of tied together different things, you know, that I, that I, I conjectured based upon what he you know, was telling me, right. you know. But I can't say that they were real, although he said they were. And, you know, I can, there's no way I could ever really know. Right. But, but we do know he was bombed in his bed and we do know he survived. It, and I'll get to that in a minute. But leading leading up to, and we know some other. Th so it seemed that um, because of all this stock promotion and, you know, manipulation and, and, you know, control, there were a number of people that wanted in on that business. Yeah. And he didn't want to, this is Meyer Rush. Nobody was going to move in on Meyer Rush. Nobody. Right. right. Okay. This is Meyer. I mean, he once said to me, it, it, I think it comes in at the end of the book, Brucey, he says, my biggest fear, he used to call me, call me Brucey. Brucey, my, not my biggest fear, my biggest weakness, he said, is that I've never known fear. He said, mm -hmm. I've never known the emotion of fear. I don't know what it feels like to have fear. That's what he used to tell me. <clears throat> and that's in the book. And that was rather fascinating to me. How could somebody not know fear? And I probed him on that. I said, of course you did. Of course you knew fear. Right. No, Brucey, I never knew fear. So people, he would try to move in on him and, and couldn't, weren't successful. Right. And he was making a lot of money and I'm not going to say who it was that moved in. I mean, I, you know, I mean, you know, according to Meyer, it was, it came from different sides. It right. came from the people that worked for him. It came from organized crime. It came from the government itself. Right. According to him. Right. They were in cahoots with the organized crime. And there were people that were, wanted higher office, maybe as high as prime minister, that were interested in putting him away, according to what Meyer said. Right. Fascinating right. stuff. And, yeah. and, you know, you could conjecture that there might have been some truth to that. So. Right. Um, so. Um, so what happens is people want in on his business. Of course, this is all, I, I just want to keep stressing. I fictionalize this. Yeah, yeah. I, I do not know any of this. I want to just document. I don't know this to be true, but Meyer is not alive anymore. So, right. but one thing, there are various things that did happen that are documented and, and they're in the newspapers and they're well known and they, they became the stuff of kind of legend. People broke into several months before he was bombed in his bed, people broke into his home in Toronto. Yeah. Beat him. If they wanted to kill, I asked him if they were trying to kill me. He says, if they wanted to kill me, they could have killed me. So obviously they didn't want to kill me. They just wanted to knock out my faculties so I couldn't talk or so I'd be brain dead. Well, apparently they were not, well, they were not successful. They beat him across. He had you know, they bludgeoned him across the arms and the legs and the head. And he had, you know, it brutalized him and had stitches and uh, everywhere, you know? And so there was, you know, it was brought, it was in the newspapers and, and um, in the book, there are copies of those little articles that we got mm -hmm. the right to put in there. And, and, and um, the, the, they went to try to find the guys and they, they wound up finding enough people to put in a lineup. Right. right. So my, they bring Meyer in, 
to ask him if he can identify any of these people. And, and, and so Meyer is behind a glass and he says, I really can't see very well. Can you let me come up, you know, in front of them? And, and they let him. So really? walked, yeah, they let him and, and they, he walks from one end of the line to the under other end of the line and walks back and stops in front of a guy, you know, taller, full head of hair, the way he described it. Meyer was already losing his hair. So he described him as having a full head of hair and sort of darker complected. And he, and he, and he, he bends down as if to tie his shoe and he comes up and absolutely cold cocks the guy and knocks him flat against a wall, blood splatters, knocks him out. And, 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 and um, the policeman says, so do we have a positive identification? And Meyer walks out of the room, just says, I don't tell no tales. And he walks, walks out. <laughs> that was yeah. just, yeah. Yeah, that's that's just well, I'll never forget. So, I mean, did it ever come to light? Like, no one ever was really discovered to have bombed him. Okay, so leading up, exactly. Right. So leading up to the bombing, um, Meyer was accused of what was considered at the time the biggest crime in the, the, the century in Canada or in the world, a hundred million dollars stock fraud. Right. People were trying to put him away for, they never found anything that ever amounted to anything like that. Right. And this is where, it, you know, we, I conjecture what was going on. So, but they did find a check, you know, um, from not a Canadian, Canadian, but from an American, I gather, a check for some amount of money. And so they use that to try to get, from what I hear, gauge further into what he might have done. And they took the net worth of everything he promoted or something, and, and they said it was $100 million, although they only found a check for several thousand dollars on him. Right. So he was going to stand trial um, in this $100 million stock fraud in Toronto. And on the eve of it happening. He's staying at the, what, at the Sutton Place Hotel, which had become, which now, you know, it became eventually condos, but it was really right. posh at the time, right? Really posh in 1967. It was like privileged and elitist to be able to stay there. So he stayed there. He went to a wedding apparently earlier that day. He comes back and he notice, notices, but doesn't think anything of it, that the TV is on. So, you know, and, and, but it's, you know, so he turns it down or whatever. He, he gets undressed, he goes to bed and it's something like, and there was also a note saying, um, I made the, made up your room for you or something, um, or I turned on the TV for you or something like that. Right. And um, he goes to bed and something like three forty-five in the morning by time bomb, by a bomb, the bomb explodes under his, uh, in his bed. And right. blows him up. Right. It, it blows up windows across the street. It right. Blows, it blows off doors down the hallway. It turns out that the bed he's sleeping on, which was a beauty rest mattress, the, the stuffing of that bed, the bed itself was made by his brother-in-law. That's crazy. Astonishing. Yeah. And so yeah. the police come, they all come. Apparently he opens he gets up he opens the door 
walks on his own power, opens the door, collapses. Now, what's interesting here is, well, at this time, as I say, I, I was raised in, I was, you know, I was born in Canada, came to California when I was younger, I mean, when I was young. We moved back to Canada for a couple of years. Right. Um, we moved to Montreal. And then for a year, we moved to New Brunswick, Campbellton, New Brunswick, way up right. on the Bay of, uh, you know, way, uh, way up there on the uh, Bay of Chalur, freezing place for a California boy by way of Canada. I so, 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 so <clears throat> my mom comes to get me from class. I'm in sixth grade. She had, she brings us home and, and she t brings us, she's, picks us up at school and she's white as a ghost. She says her brother had just been killed uh, by a time bomb and that she is flying to Toronto and she's arranging for me and you know, my dad, you know, she wasn't going to leave us with my dad, but she was going to leave us with some neighbors. Uh, he had to work and she right. was arranging to get us set up with some neighbors during the time that I'm home waiting for her. And she's talking to her sister, Sarah in Toronto um, you know, the phone rings and Sarah says, guess what? I hear that he's still alive. She turns on the radio. Now, I kid you not. This is what I hear. I hear it myself, which is like astonishing. She turns on the radio and they say on, on this is national Canadian radio. They say, we bring you the story. You know, we, we want to interrupt this to tell you about it. You know, the, the Meyer Rush, the Toronto stock promoter on the you know, night of, of before testifying a hundred million dollar stock fraud, the biggest you know, one in Canada, uh, was blown up and died. OK, it died overnight. Uh, more more details to come. Literally, I hear that and I hear the following 15, 20 minutes later, shortly, almost immediately after the, the call from my mom's sister, I hear we want to update this report on the uh, the bombing and death of Meyer Rush. We believe uh, we're told that he is alive and he's been given a 20 percent chance of survival. Um, you know, more details to come. I hear this. Oh, that later that night, my mom flies to Toronto. It's just like astonishing. So then he eventually makes his way to Panama, where he's right. where he owns land and jungle land and he's protected by the Panamanian government. And that's where the Toronto newspaper, what was it, the Star, whatever one it was, um, finds him there. And, and Sylvia Frazier, the noted, famous, talented journalist, um, happens to bump into him with her photographer. And they do a story, which then be, appeared on the front page. And of course, there's a photo in the book, on the front page of the Toronto Star Weekly, Star Weekly. Right. Him in Panama with his foot on a Jeep and his neck just sliced open. Oof. And she describes the story of interviewing him, which was a very colorful story. I mean, it's just it's crazy. So. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> now, the um, uh, now, the so as, as we kind of touched on earlier, um, Meyer didn't consider himself um, a criminal. He didn't consider himself a bad guy i mean like what were like what he didn't save i mean what like what were his justifications for doing what he did um interesting question um i was going to title the book at one point 
um, um, I stole an apple maw, right. the legend of Meyer Rush. The first I didn't, I, I changed yeah. it later yeah. because there's an event when he was very young, when he was hungry right? and he stole an apple and the guy caught him and said, and, and turned him in. And so he had a record. Right. And from a young age and, 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 and the mother was called to the police station and said, what did you do, Meyer? He said, I stole an apple. Ma, I was hungry. And so I think he saw his life as, you know what? I'm going to go out and steal some apples from time to time because right. I'm hungry. I grew up in the depression. If I got caught, if I get caught, that's the price I'm going to have to pay. Right. But I'm going to make it big. I think right. that's how he saw himself. Right. Some people would say he was a sociopath. Other people would say you're, you know, a, a, a obviously a career criminal. I mean, all those things are true. You wouldn't be one, you wouldn't like him if you're one of the people that was victimized by him. Um, as his nephew interviewing him, I can tell you he saw himself as a Robin Hood type, as a heroic type um, and, and uh, courageous. And he also, you know, wasn't educated, but right. he was very smart. Mm -hmm. And he didn't like the way people would make fun of him you know, the way he spoke, like out of guys and dolls sort of thing. Right. So, so, you know, that's, that's who Meyer, and, and yet that probably only tells part of the story. I mean, mm -hmm. he was, he was a gangster. Right. I mean, call him a gangster. Um, but I mean, ultimately Meyer, I mean, the man had no, he literally had no fear. Right. Literally. How, how rare is that? Um, I, I don't know. That's uh, that must be I think, exceptionally I rare. It, I think you're seeing it in Ukraine right now. <laughs> Possibly, actually, yes. You're seeing um, people here, there. Oh man. Yeah. No, I'm sure you're right. So the um, what was the, so? Tell us about the last time you saw him, and and maybe you know. I mean, it's been. Oh, okay. oh okay, okay. Yeah. Um, really funny. Oh, this is funny. Um, I just gotten married. Um, my w new wife and I, Sue, had gone over to um, Europe. And, you know, uh, Dave was living in London and, and Meyer was in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And so Meyer had rented this place and he was started a new business, you know, uh, calling people all over the, the country, all over the, uh, wherever he was calling, you know, United States, Canada, whatever, from his, his place in um you know, in, uh, in Amsterdam. And we wound up staying with them in this place for a few nights. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so um, he, he wanted me to start marketing some of his stuff when I got back to California. I said, no, Meyer, I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. He kept trying to tell me to do it. And he said to me, you know, Brucey, this is what, this is like almost his last words to me, but, you know, you know, and then I saw him, Several years later for dinner, he was with my mom in, 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 in L.A. He was visiting her very briefly and we had dinner together. But basically, that was very brief that he said to me when I, you know, when I wouldn't do this for him in Amsterdam, he said, you know, Brucey, he said, you're a tough nut to crack. I said, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, I think that for me is a compliment. Well, this has been really insightful. Thank you so much. 
Uh, again, uh, Bruce Bell Rosen's book, A Bomb in His Bed, Confessions of a Jewish Gangster, Meyer Rush. And it's uh, it's available on Amazon. I've and, got to restock uh, Amazon. We sold out of it a, like a year plus ago and I haven't restocked it. So this oh, perhaps this interview might, you know. You have to restock it now. You have to restock it. All right. Thanks very much, Bruce. And uh, we look forward to hearing more about mm -hmm. uh, the future of Meyer Rush in, uh, in our popular culture. Oh, well, thank Thanks you. Again. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate the good questions. Oh, it's okay. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye. Till next time. Yep. Bye.